Hello, and welcome to What is X for The Point magazine. I'm your host, Justin E.H. Smith. As regular listeners will know, on each episode, I have on a guest and we talk about a given X, where that variable is replaced by some important and difficult to define concept. We discuss the concept somewhat in the matter of Plato's dialogues, uh, where Socrates explores with interlocutors such questions as what is beauty, what is justice, and so on. And by the end of the episode, we try to come around to a determination of uh, any one of three possibilities, agreement, disagreement, or aporia, which is to say dead end, where we don't know whether we agree or not because we can't figure out what the thing is. So today I'm going to be talking about time. What is time? Uh, with uh, my guest, Professor Emily Thomas, who is an associate professor of philosophy at Durham University in the UK and is the author of the book Absolute Time from 2018 and uh, more recently a popular book, The Meaning of Travel, Philosophers Abroad in 2020. And maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that a little bit as well. Uh, Emily uh, works, broadly speaking, on uh, the history of philosophy, recovering uh, women philosophers from, I think, the 17th through the 19th centuries, uh, and more recently is working on uh, 19th century British philosophy uh, and theories of time therein. So, welcome, Emily. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, so let's see how to how to get started. I mean, sometimes we just jump right in and say, OK, what is time? <laughs> I, I feel like that would be too, uh, uh, too fast. Uh, right. So let's it's try a big question. To, <laughs> let's try to, to get different angles on it. Here's a here's a weird way to start. Um, I was talking to a, a, a Google AI researcher just yesterday who's been working with Lambda, um, the large language uh, learning module. Um, and he is, uh, so he claims, close to um, uh, determining for himself, close to deciding or believing that this artificial intelligence is conscious. But he says um, that this consciousness must be very, very strange because strictly speaking, when you're talking to Lambda, uh, Lambda is not experiencing uh, temporality, right? All you have is um, alternating uh, kind of turns right as in a chess game so you give lambda uh your input and then uh uh in a flash uh lambda gives you its input so i who remain skeptical of the possibility of ai consciousness you know which is not our topic for today <laughs> yes. um uh, another I, big topic <laughs> yeah i who remain skeptical about ai consciousness said 
But what on earth would consciousness outside of time be like? Um, I mean, how could you say that this system is conscious and yet it has no temporal experience, right? And so mm -hmm. the, I guess my first question is, um, um, would you agree that uh, there is something uh, uh, fundamentally temporal about the experience of consciousness and maybe uh, kind of inversely that, um, con that, that temporality itself has something to do with conscious experience in a way that I think has been hinted at or uh, 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 explored by a number of um, uh, modern philosophers. Does this sound like a compelling idea? That, that I mean, to put it maybe some, somewhat more um, uh, kind of uh, uh, bluntly, um, there's one idea of, of time that it's, you know, an external container, right? And another idea of time that it's um, the subjective internal flow of things, right? Uh, and this discussion with this AI guy uh, made me come around to uh, uh, greater sympathy to the latter of you. So what do you think? <laughs> this this is a, a wonderful set of questions. <laughs> I think this is just brilliant. Okay, so first off, I'm not so sure I would characterize the range of answers in the way that you have there. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly a debate over whether time or temporality, whether they are something in the external world or whether they are something that our brains, our minds impose on the world. And mm -hmm. I find temporality, the, the feel of time moving past me, the flow, the passage, uh, so fundamental that mm. I, I find it very difficult to imagine that it is just something my mind imposes. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, time is something out there in the world. Mm -hmm. And the idea that something can be conscious and not experience time, I actually find really implausible. Yeah. Um, it, so there is this uh, famous passage in John Locke that I'm sure you're familiar with, where he writes in um, the essay concerning human understanding, that it is part of what it is to be a person that they can perceive themselves in, um, in time and can imagine right. themselves at other times. Yeah. Um, and I, I just cannot imagine a conscious being that can't do that. Right. Now, of course, lots of philosophers would disagree with me. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, one obvious big exception to everything is uh, timeless conceptions of God. Uh, mm -hmm. Lots of people think God is a conscious being that's not in time. Um, right. That's fine. I'm happy to bracket that off. I think God is, if he exists, is going to be so exceptional that I'm happy <laughs> to have a different debate about that. Right. <laughs> um, but this idea that time might be something that, that our minds or brains it kind of impose and it, um, it often is traced to Kant and um, yeah. who thinks that it, space and time are forms of thought yeah. um, it, and that it's just a kind of quirk of our mm -hmm. minds that we have to see the world through space-time spectacles. Right, right. Um, where I would uh, differ with you maybe over how to characterise the debate 
if we think that time is in the external world, yeah. um, I think there are a million different ways of understanding yeah. what that means. Uh, so the mm-hmm. container view is absolutely one of them, um, but I think there are lots of others. Uh, you uh-huh, might think uh-huh. that time is relations between things. You might think that time is some kind of primal force. Mm-hmm. Um, like through the history of philosophy, there are many wild and varied theories of time that have been mm-hmm, advanced. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe if you don't mind, you could give us like a really brief lesson um, uh, as, if <laughs> yeah. you were, as if you were talking to uh, Introduction to Philosophy students, um, uh, not of all the possible theories of time. Uh, <laughs> that would but, be a lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've already we've already talked about Kant a little bit, and he's he's the figure I was uh kind of signaling towards um, mm-hmm. when I when I made that distinction myself, though I also think it applies to Leibniz. Um, mm-hmm. What I, uh, maybe you could uh, summarize for us, and, you know, if you don't want to, that's fine. And this is something I myself don't know much about, which is um, uh, the kind of uh, standard distinction that we have deriving from the philosophy of McTaggart um, in uh, the late 19th, early 20th centuries, um, where you have the A theory and the B theory. I don't think that language comes from him, uh, but the truth is I always get these confused um, I, and I just I just nod along when people start talking about them uh, so time is your thing so um, you know uh, uh, do you have do you have a uh, do you have a, um, a, a, a position um, regarding the, these different options and first of all what are yeah. they <laughs> um, I uh, just to make sure I understand uh, there are two things I could give you um, mm. so at first I thought you were after a, a kind of brief history of what people have thought time is. Um, uh, or, and or I could talk about the McTaggart distinction. Yeah, well, I just, um, I, I mean, the brief history might not, e- not be as brief as we would hope. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, if you have some other kind of paradigmatic moments in the history of the mm-hmm. philosophy of time, I can that's do that. great. But I, I'm particularly interested in, in bringing it up to McTaggart, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because he's the one who seems to come up most frequently when, um, when philosophy of time is the subject. Okay, right? I can do that. Excellent. Um, Okay, so in 1908, this Mm. British philosopher called uh, J.M.E. McTaggart, uh, John McTaggart Ellis McTaggart. Oh, wow, uh, nice name, yeah. Brilliant name. He published a paper that has since become infamous in the philosophy of time, and it is simply called The Unreality of Time. Uh, McTaggart was a British idealist, and he ultimately wanted to show that time is unreal, and that he does so by introducing a framework that everybody else would pick up and run with. So people don't care about his conclusions very much, Mm. but they really like this framework. Mm. And And the framework runs as follows. So McTaggart is asking how we should understand the relationship of the past, present and future to time. Mm-hmm. So McTaggart thinks if you believe that time is real, you have to say that things occur before or after one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I ate my breakfast before brushing my teeth. Um, for what it's worth, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think if you are a realist about time, <laughs> then you have to say things happen yeah, before yeah, or yeah. after. <laughs> and, and McTaggart says, well, so everyone 
All theorists about time are going to agree on that. Mm. But he thinks people are going to disagree over whether things are really past, present or future. <laughs> um, so for the B theorist, um, as it has now become known, events simply happen before or after. We can think about events being spread out on a timeline in the mm -hmm. same way that places are spread out in space. Mm -hmm. it, um, everything is ordered, um, mm -hmm. but no place or moment in time is special. That mm -hmm. Nothing is present, nothing is special. They're mm -hmm. all just kind of there. Mm -hmm. um, and in contrast, what's become known is the A-theorist says that mm -hmm. things really happen with regards to past, present and future. So I'm mm -hmm. talking to you right now. This is the present moment. Um, mm -hmm. I ate my breakfast in the past. I will eat my lunch in the future. Um, and these are real properties of time. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So interesting. Do you have a? Do you have sympathies as, yeah, as regards I, A or B? Do you want to I, share I, what those are right away, or do you want to let that come I, out I, slowly? I, I'm happy to share. Um, I I have huge sympathy with the A theory, uh -huh. um, and I think for the same reasons that most A theories do, which mm. is simply that I find that my experience really feels like there is a moving present it, mm -hmm. like now feels uh, present to me yeah. in a way that my breakfast or my lunch it doesn't here's and, a uh, there's a weird asymmetry isn't there because if i had to rank the times um yes the <laughs> present feels more real but then after that in second place i would rank the past right um mm. uh, because you know uh i ate my breakfast and that <laughs> is now a fact about the universe right yeah. it's not yet a fact about the universe on some understandings that i will have eaten my breakfast tomorrow right <laughs> um, is there any um is there any uh 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 consideration of that hierarchy in mctaggart actually in mctaggart i don't think that there is it, mm. that's a great question mm. no I, so mctaggart publishes this paper it's largely ignored mm. <laughs> there's a few responses in the next few years mm -hmm. and, and then in the 1920s some really big philosophers go back to the question of time and then they begin picking up his framework mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. In my own view, this particular question um, is the present is the present moment privileged mm -hmm. was not a topic of debate in Western philosophy before uh -huh. McTaggart. I, I think that you find the earlier philosophers they adopt positions that sound very much like they're an atheist or a B theorist, but mm -hmm. I don't think it was ever debated. I actually mm -hmm. think that McTaggart articulated um, this question clearly for the first time, and then suddenly, what happens in the twenties is that people like C.D. Broad and and various other British American philosophers around them mm. um, really pick it up and begin up positioning themselves explicitly with regards to this debate. Uh -huh, and they uh -huh. describe themselves, you know, as a theorists or B theorists. And, right. and then you're off to the races. And right. that's why McTaggart's paper has now been cited several thousand right. times. <laughs> right. It, yeah. It's, so that's how I think it went. And, yeah. and so he is not interested 
in what you're describing is a kind of asymmetry between mm-hmm. the way we regard the past and the future. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That's not present in McTaggart, I don't think, but it's very much present in later thinkers. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So what happens is that people are thinking, well, why is it that this feels present <laughs> as mm-hmm. opposed mm-hmm. to being past or future? Why does this moment feel special? And mm-hmm. then they're mm-hmm. coming up with theories to explain that. Yeah. And one theory famously, as this Cambridge philosopher Broad argued, uh, is that the past is real and the future is unreal. Uh-huh. And, right. and yeah, as the that's... present moment moves, yeah. So that mm-hmm. explains this moving passage of the present. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, McTaggart is very original. He introduces a new problem, or he mm. makes explicit a, an, uh, an eternal problem, you might say. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's right. Uh, but there's also... Um, as long ago as Aristotle, um, and uh, a preoccupation with the problem of the specious present, right? Mm. So you can also uh, find reason to doubt the reality, not just of the past and the future, but also the present, (laughs) right? Um, So we're really in trouble now if none of those are real. Um, (laughs) uh, And if I understand Aristotle correctly, the problem is um, that uh, that time is... uh, continuum and therefore that you cannot isolate a discrete moment um, that uh, deserves to be called the present and if you try you just um you just find a you know sequence uh, of um of moments slipping into the past right and so the the present feels real but on further examination it's not even there <laughs> right yes um, yeah. So isn't isn't that a problem too? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, absolutely it is. Yeah. I, I mean, if you think that there is no such thing as the present moment, which seems to be what Aristotle is pointing us towards, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, then that is a real issue for <laughs> anyone who wants to say that there's something special about the present. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what you mentioned there, the specious present, um, so that term is is usually given today um, Mm -hmm. to our experience of the present moment when it's understood to have duration. Right. So we usually think that the, like the metaphysical present, if you like, is a kind Mm. of mathematical point. Um, But but my experience of the present seems longer than that. Yeah. And and then you might think, well, what I'm experiencing must be fake or specious. In a sense, I'm not just experiencing the present. I'm also experiencing a tiny bit of the recent past yeah and yeah, so then yeah, there's this yeah. question well are we even experiencing what we think we're experiencing right yeah and i guess more recently there has been uh psychological research in this matter mm. like how uh how long does the present endure and i i don't i don't know what the what the answer <laughs> is but uh, i i i wouldn't be surprised to go back and check that it's you know three seconds five seconds something like that yeah. so by no means an infinitesimal time slice yes, um, yeah. but something that is uh kind of um let's say uh uh phenomenally uh processable um by a human a human consciousness right yes absolutely (laughs) and so there have been lots of experiments conducted Mm. um, that i find particularly interesting on the shortest duration that humans Uh can perceive yeah this is what i'm talking yeah 
Exactly, yeah. uh, which is, as you would imagine, it, um, within the realm of milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Um, but there very much is a, a lower limit beyond mm-hmm. which uh, we can't perceive things. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've actually done some research very okay. recently. Interesting. Um, it arguing, it, so usually people think that experiments on this stuff began in the 1850s. And, mm-hmm. and I found um, that a couple of people were experimenting on it in 1780. Uh-huh. Um, so a lot, lot earlier. And uh-huh. so William Herschel, um, who was okay. a big astronomer and mm-hmm. scientist, he was conducting um, experiments with William Watson, a guy who would later become mayor of Bath. Okay, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, they published it, but, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think anyone has read the book, uh-huh. aside from me, for a long time. How interesting. This is well before the emergence of mm. uh, psychology as a proper yes, discipline. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like they were interested in this stuff because of astronomy. Uh-huh. And it, so within astronomy, the way that telescope observations worked is that they mm-hmm. are trying to see how quickly bodies pass um, across a telescope yeah. and different people's perceptions differed by as much as a tenth of a second yeah Uh, this is the infamous tenth of a second uh the the idea that this notion actually came into existence because people Mm -hmm. never needed to measure times that small before Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) so interesting yeah and that seems somehow to um to reinforce this idea that time is the measure of change, right? That, yeah, absolutely. That, um, that time is, and this is a view that I broadly, though I can't isolate any passages, but a view that I would associate with Leibniz, right? That that time is um, not um, something that w- it would even make sense to talk about without um, talking about the, the time in which such and such events elapse, right? Mm, yeah, actually, I think that idea, although it's extremely prominent in Leibniz, that mm. probably goes back to Aristotle. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. yeah I, I, and you remember he has that a tale of how um, if people fall asleep for a very long time in a cave, when they wake up, they will not know that time has passed. Yeah. Uh, because you can only um, measure the passage of time by change. Right, right. Oh, that's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, okay, so you're sympathetic to the A theory. The B theory uh, makes me think somewhat of this idea that I feel like saying, I, I read in Adorno, of all people, that in the modern period, um, we uh, undergo a spatialization of time, that time becomes conceptualized as a line, um, and lines are borrowed from geometry, and geometry is the measure of space, um, and this is weird um, and deviant in the history of human experience of temporality. (laughs) Um, And so on the face of it, I mean, I haven't thought so much about this, and the truth is, it, talking to you is the first time I've ever really understood the distinction between the A theory and the B theory. <laughs> um, uh, but on the face of it, it would seem that the B theory is um, kind of an artifact of our modern preoccupation with measuring and plotting, right? Um, does that does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. It, and it, I agree. It, I, so mm. this idea of 
time as a line can actually be traced directly to Joseph Priestley and, uh-huh. and his invention of the timeline. Uh-huh. I, I believe yeah. that he published, I think that was in 1760, I yeah. 1780. It, yeah. yeah. Um, it, his very first uh, timeline, um, which I think was called an, a chart of biography. Uh-huh. And, and in it, he plots human lives using a measured line. Yeah. And this had never happened before, yeah. which I find incredible. Previously, yeah. when people used to plot time, they did so using tables or circles. And he came up with this very simple, intuitive way, make time into a measured line. Yeah. And it it just took off. There were other people around him who had related ideas, but but Priestley was the one who made it famous. Yeah. And and I absolutely think that this has uh, sort of infected our idea of time and that it has Mm -hmm. a huge amount to do with the spatialization of time that mm-hmm. Adorno was talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could be wrong in that attribution, <laughs> but I feel like I got it from him. There's a wonderful book. I don't know if you've seen this um, by Tony Grafton and another another author whose name I'm blanking on called I A Time haven't... A Timeline of Timelines. Um, oh, I and, have seen that um, book. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, beautiful. yeah. And, it's just a beautiful title, yeah. and it's also beautifully illustrated. Um, yes, yeah. It's called A Cartography of Time. I yeah, think. right, right, but, but right. But right, online, yeah. somewhere, yeah. they definitely have a timeline of timelines. Yeah, right. Which okay, is yeah, just wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. You're right. A Cartography of Time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, this then, it's what it sounds like so far, first of all, is that we're um, – we're uh, agreeing with one another, uh, but also that we're agreeing with one another um, uh, in virtue of the fact that we are both um, uh, historians of philosophy and Mm. um, uh, we are therefore uh, primed to um, understand theories of such broad and abstract and seemingly intractable problems as time as in part conditioned by mm-hmm. um by uh uh history right and uh yeah. the the way your historical era imposes certain models or representations on you is that fair to yes. say it, yes it, absolutely it 100 percent and i think that a lot of our ideas about big things are just historical accidents mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 um i mean so this brings up a, a really interesting question i don't know if you've thought about this um but i've i forget where i first came across this thesis but i i've certainly been able to confirm it in my own reading since then. So if you look at, say, ancient Greece and the the, the variety of proto-sci-fi problems that classical authors were capable of imagining for themselves, you've got most of them already. You've got teletransportation and you've got um, mind reading and um, you've got interstellar travel and all of that good stuff. Um, there's, There's one thing you don't have, time travel. Um, Mm. And time travel, I could be wrong here, someone might correct me, but time travel seems to emerge towards the end of the 18th century, Um, which is to say, 
in the period in which we start to have timelines, right? Um, yes. In which we start to represent time as space, right? Yes. And um, and uh, uh, the the pre in, well, there's I I mean th- it depends how you define time travel because you do have. Uh, Rip Van Winkle style tales um, already in antiquity. People who go to sleep for a long time wake up. In a sense, that's time travel, yes. but it's not. It's not. It's not uh, uh, sci-fi time travel, yes. right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. just. Um, so, uh, uh, it seems to me that the possibility, the historical. Uh, conditions for the imagination of time travel uh, already give us reason to think that uh, when we're imagining time travel, it's uh, implicitly presupposing a certain model of time, which is itself a historical artifact, right? Um, uh, Does that, are you inclined to agree with that? Um, I am very much. So, uh, my understanding is, though there were the odd time travel story from the late 18th century onwards, they really, really got going with H.G. Wells' The Time yeah. Machine in yeah. the late 19th century. Yeah. And, yeah. and what makes Wells distinctive is two things. So one is that he is proposing a machine to time travel in, and mm-hmm. which makes it much more sci-fi-like than just falling asleep, mm-hmm. um, but also that he wraps a theoretical idea around it. And Wells claims that time is just the fourth dimension of space. Uh-huh. And it, now, where do we get this time as a fourth dimension idea from? Well, that is very much, I think, a product of the earlier spatialization of time that we mm-hmm. take from priestly time as a line. And, mm-hmm. But it's kind of solidified um, in the 1880s by a mathematician called Charles Hinton. Um, uh-huh. And Hinton argues it, that... Uh, there are more than three dimensions of space. So Uh not just length, breadth, depth, there are more. And this idea had been floating around for a little while. So Hinton didn't invent that, Mm. um, but he very much made it popular. He even attempted to draw uh, four-dimensional cubes. Uh But what Hinton does that was so unusual is that he strongly hints that the fourth dimension is time Uh and and this idea was picked up by various people but wells was by far the biggest and and he ran with it Um, and so and then of course as soon as you think that time is a kind of space you can travel through it because just like space all the parts of time exist there's no implicit direction you can move backwards as well as forwards Um, and then and then you have proper time travel of the kind that we think of now Right, right. Do you think time travel is in principle possible? Um, yeah, I suspect to get a really detailed answer to this, you'd have yeah. to ask a physicist. Yeah. Um, as far as I understand, so there's a couple of ways that physics seems to suggest it's straightforwardly possible, but you might think it's kind of cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, according to relativity, if I go off on a spaceship really fast, then time is going to pass differently right. for me than people on Earth. Yeah. Uh, there's also this phenomena of 
closed time-like loops mm-hmm. um, it, where they think it might be possible to have a little bit of the fabric of space-time yeah. that kind of loops around and then you can yeah. just walk around it and, and right. return back to where you started that way. Right. Uh, whether or not more Wellesian time travel is possible, mm-hmm. um, I honestly don't know. But, but mm-hmm. as, as far as I understand, there's no reasons in physics that say it's definitely not right 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 there is this very funny argument which i like from a philosopher who argues and the best argument against the possibility of time travel is the fact that we are not yet besieged by time traveling tourists Uh uh-huh right right yeah that seems (laughs) that that seems seems pretty compelling yeah (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose also the the famous paradoxes that yes. that um, that yeah. that that emerge. Um, uh, but I mean, I'm inclined to think um, that uh, it's impossible, um, mm-hmm. even though in general, uh, my view of the history of technology is that whatever is conceptualized is at some point realized mm-hmm. um uh, yeah. and i that's a that's a bold claim but yeah uh, it, it is. seems um it's i'm inclined to think that the one exception might be time travel and again this is because um uh i'm comp- i i'm inclined to think that our idea of time travel implicitly presupposes uh, 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 a particular metaphysics of time that is mm-hmm. a historical mm-hmm. artifact, right? Um, I understand. And uh, yeah. that you know you need to you need to spatialize time before uh, you can talk about moving back and forth, right? Whereas yes. um, um, yeah. for most of human history, time has been conceptualized um, as something other than a line. In particular, and here's I uh, uh, maybe this is getting too much into say the anthropology of time, mm-hmm. but um, you know, the word um, uh, uh, for year um, in Romance languages, it shares the same root as the word for ring, right? Uh, yeah. uh, en, anneau, uh, it's the same yeah. word. Um, and uh, this seems to be the default experience of time in most human cultures. It can't yeah. be a line because it keeps going <laughs> back around, right? Yes. And um, in a sense, what we've done in the modern period is broken the ring and straight <laughs> straightened it out, right? Yes. Um, and um, um, I'm not sure that that is um, that that is uh, 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 the 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 true model of time just mm-hmm. because it's the one that we have innovated over the past few centuries does yes. that sound yes it, i i completely see mm. I, I i completely see that line of reasoning and oh. um, i have sympathy with it what i will say is that the advent of relativity mm. arguably puts a spanner in the works and right. it's simply because um most inter- most but not all interpretations of general relativity um, mm. conceive time as being part of the space-time manifold right. and, and then right. you know kind of like a, a blanket extended and multiple dimensions yeah and, and once you have that idea then i think time is spatialized yeah to a okay. certain degree now okay. you might well reject that there are people yeah. that do yeah um, but nonetheless that seems to be the most common reading 
Right, right, right. Yeah, I suppose in the case of a question like time, uh, when it comes to, say, weighing, let's say, cross-cultural anthropological testimonia mm. against contemporary physics, um, I, I concede <laughs> you do have to uh, weight contemporary physics um, somewhat, somewhat more, more, <laughs> yeah. more strongly. But that yeah. doesn't mean you're wrong, though. It, um, mm. I mean, what I find happening all the time it, um, is contemporary physics, it, um, they take relativity to then prove what seemed to me to be really quite unrelated, huge metaphysical claims. Um, mm-hmm. So things like they say, oh, past, present and future definitely exist. And I, I'm not so sure <laughs> that, right. that relativity necessarily that I definitely right. think there's many missing links in the chain or certainly links that need to be made explicit um, right. but what's happening there I think we are in agreement um, that it's this overwhelming historical spatialization of time bringing yeah. pressure to bear Right, 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 right. Incidentally, um, the late 18th century time travel novel that mm. I was uh thinking about, and it's often invoked as the beginning of the genre, it's Mm. by a French author named Louis-Sébastien Mercier, uh, and it's called The Year 2440. Um, And it's lovely because the title page has a quote from Leibniz on it. Oh, that's uh, wonderful. Le temps présent est gros de l'avenir. But actually, that's not Leibniz. This goes back to St. Augustine. You'll probably know it. The, The present is is pregnant with the future, mm. right? And this is the whole idea of um, uh, seminal reasons. Mm. Uh, 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 so it's misattributed to Leibniz, even though Leibniz <laughs> picks it back up again. And indeed, okay. that whole Augustinian notion, and of course, Augustine is one of the main philosophers of time uh, yeah. in Western history, that whole um the whole notion of seminal reasons seems to uh, be a way of making the future real, but also seems to um, uh, strongly imply determinism, right? Um, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, uh, if the ha- future's if the future's real, it seems like it seems like everything about the future is already settled, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And is that something that Mercier deals with in the time travel story? Um. It, I mean, it. No, not really. It's it's a it's a it's a wild story because you know it's again 1772, That's just before wonderful. the French French Revolution, and very you know very contemporary. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 but in the year 2440, uh, he v- travels forward and discovers that in the 25th century, f- uh, France is in many respects very futuristic and utopian, but. Mm-hmm. Also, the Industrial Revolution hasn't happened and everyone's, you know, they have very streamlined agriculture, but it's still (laughs) basically a rural society, right? Um, So this is a wonderful example of how you really can never predict the future, right? Um, I I have not read this book. I will be absolutely looking it up. That sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty incredible. Um, Though uh, one other point about Mercier, though, is that um, he represents this travel. I mean, there are different mechanisms of time travel, and he represents it uh, as a dream, right? And mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is 
arguably uh, very different from the H.G. Wells and things that come later uh, and places it more in continuity with, say, uh, prophecy or oracular mm-hmm. vision, right? Um, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's not really time travel. It's just. It's just uh, seeing, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Yes. It's not. It's not that he himself is traveling there bodily, but he yeah. has a window onto yeah. how the future yeah. would look. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. 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 Anyway, have have a have a look at that. It uh, it will it will really um, interest you. I think <laughs> I will. Yeah. Um. I wanted to get back to something we talked about uh, towards the beginning, which is the question of eternity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you said, okay, maybe God, if God exists, is so special that that we would have to place God outside of time. Uh, now, when I think about the prospect of an afterlife or of eternal life, and maybe those two should be distinguished, um, sitting around forever in heaven sounds boring and impossible, right? <laughs> like anything, anything that lasts forever uh, looks like a bad deal. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I take, but I have sometimes taken that to be a relatively unsophisticated way of articulating a, a deeper idea, which is that human beings um, or their souls uh, are eternal, right? Which is to mm-hmm. say that at the end of this life, you move into uh, a form of being that doesn't elapse in time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, and um, that sounds kind of kind of somewhat more attractive to me. Yes, um, but <laughs> yes. Um, 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 uh, have we? lost this important distinction in recent reflections, uh, uh, this, this distinction that religious traditions or theological traditions seem be- somewhat better at preserving between the eternal and the infinite, uh, or do they collapse into one another in your view? You see, you, you understand the question? Um, uh, how, how are you characterizing eternal and how are you characterizing infinite? Uh, being outside of time. Um, is, is the eternal one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. How, that's how I've understood it. Even if we run the two together in, uh, let's say, our secular post-theological mm-hmm. um, reflections on the nature of time. Th- that makes sense. It's... So historically, because of this a deep link between time and change. And um, people have not wanted to conceive God as a being that yeah. changes. Mm-hmm. And then a way to make sense of that is to say, well, God is outside of time. Yeah. And, and so the classic way of understanding divine eternity right, is this timeless model, which yeah. exactly as you describe, yeah. um, somehow uh, God is just kind of there, but he can't get bored. Right. <laughs> and then presumably that would be the same for, for human souls in the afterlife as yeah. well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the problem with these timeless conceptions of eternity um, it is that 
many theologians also want to say that God is involved in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so God creates miracles or, or God mm-hmm. steps in at various points. Yeah. And, and then that seems as though, well, God's mind has changing thoughts. Yeah. And, and God actually is um, involved with a changing thing, the world. Doesn't that mean that God is changing along with the world? Mm-hmm. And it, so this has led to... Um, it, T- time full accounts of divine yeah. eternity yeah yeah. What you, yeah and yeah. in which god is kind of existing in everlasting life but alongside us in time yeah um, yeah yeah and, and i guess yeah yeah go ahead go ahead yeah I, I, I think that leads to the view that you were raising about like if our afterlife were like that mm. couldn't that get really boring yeah and i don't know whether you've seen the final season of the good place but that's oh is no a no big, i yeah i, I will yeah. say so spoiler alert but that that is a big theme <laughs> okay okay yeah <laughs> I, yeah um yeah i have that worry as well surely mm. an everlasting life understood in that way you're gonna hit a limit where that's not fun anymore yeah you know i'm just now th- rethinking this uh very familiar uh talking heads lyric that you probably know from heaven heaven is a place where nothing ever happens mm. um and um <laughs> You know, I always interpreted that um, to mean heaven is boring, right? Because you just you <laughs> yes. just you just sit yeah. around. But you could you could <laughs> yeah. interpret it differently. Heaven mm. is outside of time because yeah. nothing ever happens, <laughs> yes. right? Um, yeah. Um, and yeah. you need yes. you need things happening in order for there to be any temporal flow, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Um, um, yeah. But I guess you know this. This is the crux of the um, the the difference between, say, Aristotle's unmoved mover and the Christian God. Right? Mm. Aristotle has to keep God out of the affairs of the world. Mm. Right? Um, uh, because God can't change because God is already perfect. Um, yes. And so God doesn't, not only does God not love us, God doesn't even know we exist for yeah. Aristotle. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. And, um, and once you get a loving God, like, um, like the Christians would insist God is, mm. um, it's almost as if ipso facto, you've got a God who is mixed up in time right absolutely and what is a particular issue for the christian god is the idea that god is a creator Mm -hmm. because that implies that there was a point where there was no creation and there was a point where god had the creative act and then the world came into being yeah And, and that seems very much like God is acting and changing in some yeah. way. You know, he had a desire and then the desire was fulfilled. And, yeah. and that worry about God being unchanging in the 17th century actually powered several philosophers yeah. to argue that the world is eternal alongside God. And yeah. Because then there was no act of creation during which God right. changed. God's just always been there and the world has always been there right. with him. Right, 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 right. Is there a philosopher of time who uh, uh, seems particularly attractive to you? One who really stands out as the person who figured it out? That's a wonderful question. Um, Off the top of my head, 
no actually I think that I really like borrowing different bits from different people Mm -hmm. I I really admire C.D. Broad I think Mm -hmm. that his writings on time he shares my sympathy that we have to make sense of this moving present but he's extremely clear in laying out the different options and I really Uh really like that Uh Um, uh Henry Bergson I find significantly Mm -hmm. less clear Um, but but I find his views very powerful actually Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And that our starting point should be our experience of time, and then mm-hmm. we build our metaphysics out from that. And, and mm-hmm. Bergson, I actually don't think he's particularly interested in metaphysics. He's much mm-hmm. more about our experience. Yeah, and, yeah. But I, I share his starting point. I, w- I mean, I don't know where I would place Bergson in terms of traditions, but certainly mm-hmm. in the twentieth century continental philosophy traditions broadly conceived Mm. time um, is almost uh, by definition grounded in a phenomenological experience, right? Um, For someone like Heidegger, for example, it's um, uh, it, it comes from us and whether Heidegger is even paying attention at all to what contemporary theoretical physics of his era is saying about time. I don't know, but he gives no evidence of caring so much. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Whereas I think by that point, the early analytics, and um, mm. they're, they're not hugely interested in relativity early on, but mm-hmm. they are very interested in... Um, so the debate we mentioned earlier about whether time is a kind of container um, mm. or whether time is relations holding between things, uh, they're very interested in that. And then the impact that has on your mm. metaphysic of time. It, mm-hmm. um, it, it's, their starting point is very different, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I had just one more question for you. Um, it might uh, surprise you because we ha- had agreed not to talk about it, but your other work <laughs> on yes. travel. Um, mm. I'm wondering if you see a connection. I, I recently read uh, some of Bruce Chatwin's work uh, mm-hmm. that you probably are yeah. familiar with. And, um, you know, he... I've got a lot of troubles with Chatwin. I, I, I find him um, frustrating in a lot of ways, um, but he's extremely preoccupied with this idea that the human essence is nomadic, right? And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Um, we are primates that evolved to walk long distances with bare feet and so on. And that when we stop doing this, when we get sedentized, it uh, kind of warps our nature, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and gives us a distorted view of who we really are, right? Mm-hmm. And, that, and it's for that reason that the greatest... Uh, uh, kind of instance of otherness in the contemporary world. It's not uh, racial or economic or national or anything like that. It's between the sedentists and the nomads, right? And I, I find <laughs> I find this I find this really really interesting. Um, but also, you know, it does make me wonder. And I'm thinking here about Chat Chatwin's Chatwin's songlines, um, a book about um, the um, uh, Australian Aboriginal. Um, uh, uh, kind of uh, geographical or the mapping songs by which Australian Abori- Aborigines um, kind of cognize um, 
huge territories and travel across them. When you lose practices like that and you start to conceive of your being as rooted to uh, mm. a piece of real estate, right? Um, <laughs> I'm wondering if you think in your reflections on the philosophy of travel, which is, a, you know, you have to admit a somewhat more uh, rare and special philosophical subdomain <laughs> in the philosophy of time, if your yes. f- reflections on the philosophy of travel have perhaps in a broadly Chatwinian way, but not necessarily, um, uh, motivated you uh, to rethink um, the question of the nature of time. That makes sense? I, I think you'll have to say a little bit more about what you're thinking. Okay, well, I, I mean, I guess basically uh, the question is, do you think that these are two different uh, uh, philosophical yes. subdomains or do they somehow intersect and does the one help you to understand the other, the other. in uh, in any uh, measurable way? Okay, that's a really great question. The short answer is I find them to be quite different, actually. And I have done a lot of work on the philosophy of space. Mm -hmm. And and then in a very basic way, travel is just change of place over time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so there is this kind of fundamental connection between traveling and and place and time. But actually, I find the philosophy of time to be seeking answers about things about the about the architecture of the world that is mm-hmm. so fundamental we can't even see it yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. We, we can't see or touch or taste time it, it is this sort of abstract invisible thing and, and what philosophers are doing and physicists are trying to understand this thing that we can't poke or prod or touch mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and in contrast i think that philosophers who are engaged with problems around travel and um, mm-hmm. are being as worldly as they can be and mm-hmm. um, it, it's about getting out into the world and um, mm-hmm. you know whether they're talking about what a map is like a piece of mm-hmm. paper that you could yeah. turn over and look at and um, all wilderness that you could go out into and touch and breathe mm-hmm. in and um, i find that they're looking at really concrete aspects of reality mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so actually the the driving the driving questions and motivations are quite different. That's so interesting. <laughs> I have to read your 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 2020 book on travel. <laughs> I think um, that will, uh, and maybe you can come back again, and we can we can talk about <laughs> I, this. Happily, um, it's a really um, fun book. My book yeah. on time is not fun, <laughs> um, <laughs> but the travel book is. Well, some some books shouldn't be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe that's that, that, that's it in its. <laughs> yeah. That speaks in its favor. Um, so we're kind of uh, getting towards the end here. I think, uh, I hate to say it, but uh, once again, I find <laughs> myself in agreement. with my guest um <laughs> yet again i can't help it but no i mean sometimes i i i i i've noted that um that i fall under the spell of my guest um and 
am in agreement with them only for as long as I'm talking to them. But then, <laughs> I, but then the podcast ends and I'm like, wait a minute. Um, but <laughs> this time I think um, we, we really do agree because um, uh, at least to the extent that uh, we present the problem in terms of a theory versus B theory, because mm-hmm. I have um, significant qualms about B theory as you presented it. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, like you, I also um, um, uh, feel deep in my gut that the present is real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that said, we, there might be a point of difference, and maybe we can uh, 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 ask you what you think about this. I feel like maybe it's because I've been in France too long, but I feel <laughs> like I ha- I am somewhat um, sympathetic to uh, the um, phenomenological uh, mm-hmm. traditions understanding of uh, of time as. Mm-hmm. Um, as coming from us, right? Um, in okay. some way, as um, as uh, special uh, 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 for Dasein and not for um, you know stones or asteroids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if um, uh, you know. I'm not. I'm not going to defend that. I'm just going to say that um, that when I think about time, it's generally through that lens that I start to think about it. Would you mm-hmm. say that this is a, a, a plausible point of difference between us? Yeah, I would. I've clearly yeah. been in analytic British philosophy <laughs> too long yeah, myself. Yeah. Right, because yes, I very much think time is something in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, then maybe I take that back. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, Perhaps no, we, we, we can agree. I, I think that the starting point of our philosophy of time should be our experience of time. Yeah, right. Okay, okay. That's interesting. That sounds mm. like, yeah, partial agreement. Um, uh, <laughs> but, there's a Venn diagram. There's a bit of overlap somewhere. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is super complicated. This is the most complicated <laughs> Uh, episode ending I've I've yet confronted in fact <laughs> um, but I mean look I have to say that you know I'm not I'm not a phenomenologist myself and and you know I, I'm also not a philosopher of time myself and if you know if I if I admit that that that's how I tend to think about it it really is a result of passive influence rather than mm-hmm. you know any kind of commitment <laughs> right i um, understand yeah so listen this has all been super interesting and i mean it when i say we have to um we have to do another episode on travel um because um 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 that is i think when we were talking uh earlier we 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 visited the idea mm. um but you know, time is probably the one that you should check off the list before you get around <laughs> to travel. But I you know, I'm, travel is more niche. <laughs> I, I, I'm true. doing I'm doing one on breakfast. Um, oh, soon. okay. Travel what, is less niche than that. <laughs> what is breakfast? Yeah. So it's not like we we have any um, uh, prejudices here. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, Good. <laughs> All right. Um, so listen, again, uh, this has been What is X? And I've been talking to Emily Thomas about time and what it is. And I hope you'll join us here uh, next time. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Wonderful.